Today we're in week two of Moses, a God chaser story, and we've got plenty to get into today, so I want to jump right in. Uh, First of all, let's talk about what it is to be a God chaser. We defined this last week. It's one of our three core goals as a church. We want to be God chasing, grace shaped, love agents. In fact, let's do that together today just to make sure we're all on the same page. What is it as a church want to be? God chasing, grace shaped, love agents. Remember that. That's a big deal. This series is about being a God chaser, and so this is kind of how we've defined it. A God chaser is someone who is fully devoted to bringing glory to God with their life. And so that's just what it is. If I'm chasing God with my life, if I'm devoted to bringing him glory with everything that I do, whether it's my job or my parenting or my uh, being a spouse or being in the community, whatever it is, how I spend my money, how I spend my time, I'm chasing God with that. And it's not easy. It's not easy to chase God because we want to chase our own kingdoms all the time. I know I do. And so it takes, it takes effort. We're studying the story of a guy named Moses from the book of Exodus. And the cool thing about Moses is that last week we learned he didn't start out as a God chaser. In fact, he was a runner. He was running from some mess that was going on in his life, but he becomes one of the premier God chasers in all of history. And so we're taking seven weeks to study his life. We're in the book of Exodus. So if you've got a Bible, or if you, if, even if you don't have one, there's some spread under the seats in the room here. Feel free to grab one of those, and uh, you can keep that Bible if you want to. Uh, we have those. We give away Bibles for free. Everybody needs a good, readable version of the Bible. Um, but take a second. We're going to be in Exodus. That's the second book in the Bible. So open it up to the very beginning. The first one you'll see is Genesis. Go back. Next book over is Exodus. And now we're going to be in chapter four. We've looked at the first three chapters already. The book of Exodus, just to give you kind of a big, uh, you know, high in the sky picture of what the book is, it's called Exodus because it's the story of the nation of Israel exiting from Egypt. They were slaves in Egypt. They've been very mistreated, and God sends them, kind of throws them a rope through this guy Moses, uh, and the story of them leaving slavery, being uh, liberated from slavery, is their exodus from Egypt. So that's why it's called the book of Exodus, in case you didn't know that. Last week, what we did was we hit pause in the story of Moses. Moses, this guy, as we followed the roller coaster life of his story and how, you know, he was just kind of trying to find his own way in the world, we stopped right at the part where he first met God. He approaches God now. Moses has been a shepherd out in the wilderness for about 40 years, and, uh, and he is watching some sheep one day, and this bush is just burning And he looks at the bush, and the strange thing about it is the bush is on fire, but it's not being consumed by fire. If you've ever set at a campfire, you know that the wood burns up. It eventually disintegrates. It's gone. But he's sitting there looking at this bush, and it's on fire, but it's not being consumed. And then from this bush comes the voice of God. And if that doesn't make you wet your pants, I don't know what does, because that is like, what? There's a voice coming from the bush, and it doesn't. So we paused it right there after God had kind of introduced himself, and he'd given Moses an objective. A, a purpose. I want to rewind for you. If you want to flip over to Mo, uh, Exodus chapter 3, you can, but it'll be on the screen. In Exodus 3, 7, we get kind of the big synopsis of what, uh, really the thesis of what Moses' plan is, or what God's plan for Moses is. This is in chapter 3, verse 7. The Lord said to Moses, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians. And we fast forward a little bit to verse 10. He gives Moses like his objective, verse 10. So now, Moses, go. Go to Egypt. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And the rest of the book of Exodus hinges on that command. Go. Will he do it? Will he not? How does it play out? Moses uh, He's been given a big task. And so when we start today, we're going to hit play on Moses' story, okay? We pause for a whole week, hit play again. Uh, we're going to see that Moses 
has a big question. It's been a big task. It's it a big question. We're going to kick off right in Exodus chapter 4, verse 1. This is what Moses says or asks. Okay, God, what if they do not believe me or listen to what I say? And the, and the Lord, and they say, the Lord did not appear to you. You know, this is a very big question that Moses has, but I think it's really kind of a hinge question for us as well, because as I look in this room, I know that many, many, many of you are our regular Venture Church family, and even those of you who may be here from out of town or just visiting, maybe you've done church before, and if you haven't, that's fine, I'm glad you're here, but sometimes like as a, a person who attends church, someone who would call themselves maybe a Christian, someone who's a believer, there are these moments where we're like, yeah, God, I, I knew you were there at church. I saw you there at the retreat that I was on. I saw you there at the summer camp I went to. I saw you at my small group and my Bible study, but how is I supposed to make a difference out there? Because it's scary out there. Like, have you met my coworkers? Have you met my neighbors? Have you met my boss? Have you met my mom? Right? Like, you, you, you think of all these places in your life, you're just like, I don't know. So how will they know that you sent me? How can I prove this to you? That's the big opening question. And so the rest of this story that we're going to read through today is just God kind of answering that question for Moses. We're going to look at verse 2 now. It's brilliant what he says. The Lord said to him, Moses, what's that in your hand? A staff, he replied. I've got one here. Because visuals are good, right? We're all ADD. A staff, he said. Throw it on the ground, the Lord said. So Moses threw the grass, the staff on the ground, and it became a snake. And he ran from it, because that's what you should do when sticks turn into snakes. Verse 4. Then the Lord said to him, Now reach up your hand, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. Now, before you get squeamish, all you non-snake people, Moses has been a shepherd for 40 years. He ain't worried about snake, okay? But he's gonna reach down and he's gonna pick it up. So Moses reached down and he took hold of the snake and he took it and it turned back into a staff. In his hand, this, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. Which I think is a really weird answer for God to give Moses, to be real honest. <laughs> okay, so your, snake, your staff can turn into a snake. That's how. But Moses is being shown the power of God. Moses is pretty new at this listening to God thing. In fact, as far as I know, Moses may have only known about God for like five minutes. Um, <laughs> so he's probably like, okay, this is moving really fast for me. But God is showing him his power. You got to remember also in this moment, God's voice is coming from a burning bush. This is surreal to Moses. There's probably moments in Moses like, Am I, is this really happening? Pinch myself, ouch, this really happening. And so he's understandably nervous. He doesn't know how all this following God stuff works. He doesn't know like how are you supposed to take the message of God to people? Like, should I dig the bush up? Like, is that, do I need a wagon? How do I, what do you mean go tell them that you spoke to me? I think the question that Moses asks is the one that a lot of us asks all the time. And that is, how do I communicate what I think I understand about God? Yes, I know that you exist. I feel like you exist. I've met people who know you exist, but how am I supposed to communicate that to somebody else? Right? Am I right? It's hard. How am I supposed to communicate? So God shows him something, and I absolutely love the question that God asked Moses, and I think it's the same question that he's going to ask us eventually, but this is the question he asked Moses. Don't miss this. He doesn't say, I'm going to send you an email with all my credentials. He doesn't say, I'm going to put, you know, writing in the sky so that people can know. He, what he asked Moses is, Moses, what's that in your hands? What are you holding right now? I'm going to use that. What's in his hand? It's a staff. Earlier this week, um, I took a hike with my, uh, with my family, 
And uh, we were up in the mountains of North Carolina. I love going up there. We go there several times uh, a year, if we, or once a year if we can. And uh, it was actually my family, my two kids, my wife, my brother, his two little girls, the youngest of which is three, which is really fun when you're camping, uh, and his wife, and my mom and dad. So it's like the big whole family camping trip, okay? It was a lot of fun. And we decided to go on this little hike. And so, but before we went, uh, we said, let's all make walking sticks. You ever have kids, uh, any of you have kids and they got a walking stick? Like, it's like one of the coolest things you could give a kid is a stick. Stop spending money on electronics, okay? Go in the woods with a saw and cut down a branch and let them play with that as long as they possibly will. And then when they quit, remind them that it can also be a sword, okay? And then you get another three hours out of that thing, all right? So we give them the stick and we're playing with So we go on this hike, it's really cool, and we're passing people on the trail. And people, it's funny, because there's like a total of 10 of us on the trail, and uh, we past people and they're like, that's a lot of walking sticks because we're like clump, 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 walking everywhere. Okay, so walking sticks can be super useful when you're going on a hike. Um, I, I, my favorite person to watch with a walking stick was my three-year-old niece uh, because she mostly carried it like this, <laughs> dragging it behind her. And she got really, really frustrated when it got dirty. <laughs> so every time we stop at a stream, she'd like, and then she wanted to stand there and stir. And we're like, okay, we've got like two more miles to walk. Can you please stop stirring the water? Um, so, but walking sticks are good. They're good for your balance. They're good for catching. Now, Moses probably didn't have a stick just like this. Uh, it was probably a little bit different. Uh, what I imagine about Moses' stick is that it was, it was probably curved. He was a, a shepherd, and so maybe you've seen those shepherd staffs, a little way that you could, you know, reach down and pick up a, a, a lamb who had fallen in a hole. But this stick was very important. It represented his livelihood. With our sticks, we weren't really, uh, it was just for fun. It was just for fun. Um, can I take a time out on my hiking story? I gotta tell you another fun story. Don't worry, we got time. This is really good. This, we're walking in the trail, okay? My, do- my, my, my niece, she's three years old. She's right ahead of me, and my wife is behind us. And really calmly, I was super proud of you, Lindsay, when you did this. She goes, hey, guys, there's a snake in the trail. <laughs> she says it all calm, like, no big deal. I know some of you would probably scream and run the other way, but she was just like, there's a snake in the trail. And uh, so I just look ahead, and right in front of my three-year-old niece was... I've never seen one in the wild. It was like a six foot long Eastern diamondback rattlesnake. Yeah, like one of the most poisonous snakes in our region. It was like about two feet in front of my niece and she's just dragging her stick. About to walk on it. So I scoop her up, saved her life. One day she should thank me. Um, Man, it was cool. It was rattling and we just let him go because this is your world, man. (laughs) We just live in it. Uh, That's the side story. Nothing else happened. Just wanted to tell you that I saw a rattlesnake. Um, but back to Moses' staff, here's the thing. We were using these sticks, you know, casually as, as vacationers, but to Moses, this stick represented his livelihood. It really did, and it was, it was personalized. I imagine there was a smooth spot right where he put his hand. It was a calling card of what he did as a shepherd. Look, I, I don't think I'm exaggerating at all to say that at the campfire at night, if Moses might have propped his stick up against a tree and some other shepherd walked up on the fire and saw Moses' stick on the tree, I, I got a feeling that that guy would be like, oh, Moses is here. Because this, this is his walking stick. Just like if someone pulls in the parking lot and sees your car, right? This is just something. It represents who he is. It represents what he does. And so what God says, when, when Moses is freaking out and doesn't know how he's going to manage talking to the leader of Egypt and ask to free an entire group of slave, enslaved people, God's question to him is, what is that in your hand? A stick? Drop it. Let me show you something. So Moses drops it, and God does, he does a miracle. Stakes, sticks do not turn into snakes. Maybe a magician can make you think that it did, but when that happens in real life, it's supernatural. God's involved. It is incredible, and that's what Moses sees. Now, 
uh, this would have gotten my attention right away. Uh, okay, yeah, what, what else do you need from God? And I think it probably did for Moses. But uh, God really wanted to drive his point home. He really wanted to show Moses his power. And so after the snake thing, we're gonna keep reading. He does a couple of other things. First in verse six, it says, then the Lord said, put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand inside his cloak. And when he took it out, the skin was leprous. It had become white as snow, leprosy. Um, if you've been in church long, you think it's the disease that people talk about at vacation Bible school. If you don't, haven't been in church long or haven't studied much about the Bible or ancient history, you might not have ever heard of it. It's a nervous disorder, a nervous um, system disease. It attacks all of your nervous system. It's terrible. Uh, it, it leads to all kinds of deformities. People who have it would often you know, lose sensation in their toes or their fingers and then cut it and not know and get an infection and they wouldn't even know. It's, and ultimately, it would be fatal. It was also extremely, extremely contagious. So people who had leprosy would be colonized somewhere else so they would be away. You might never see your family again if you're found with leprosy. So Moses reaches in his clothes because God, the burning bush, tells him to. He pulls out his hand and I just imagine this moment where Moses jumps back from his own hand. Maybe he's trying to shake it off. No, no, no. Did I do something wrong, God? What is this? He's terrified. And I don't know how long his hand was like that, but God didn't leave it that way. In verse seven, it says, now put your hand back into your cloak. And so Moses put his hand back into his cloak and when he took it out, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. And so now picture this. Moses, eyes as big as saucers, are looking at his own hand going, can you imagine the relief now? <laughs> it's gone. And he's just comparing it. And was that in my imagination? What just happened? At this moment, God is really showing his power to Moses. I got power over nature. I got power over your body. I got power over disease. What else you want to see, Moses? And so in verse 8, it continues. The Lord says, look, if they don't believe you, or pay attention to the first sign. They might believe the second sign, but if they do not believe these two signs or listen to you, here's what you do. Take some water from the Nile. The Nile River, one of the biggest rivers in the world. It goes right through the heart of Egypt. Take some river from the, water from the uh, Nile, pour it onto dry ground, and the water that you take from the river will be become blood on the ground. Next week, we're gonna talk about some stuff where kind of that happens, but Moses is... is I, can you just imagine for a minute what this moment, just a few minutes ago, I'm watching sheep. Now I'm talking to God through a burning bush. I'm seeing miracles. What is happening? And God's putting on a clinic to show his ability to do the unimaginable. But Moses is still not sure. Okay, so this time, if you just look a few more verses over, we're going to look at verse 10. Moses is still unsure because, yeah, okay, that was really cool that you did that, God. But I love how polite he is to God because you should be at this point. Moses says to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord, excuse me. I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you've spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and tongue. Moses doesn't know what's gonna happen, okay? He, he's understandably scared, and he understands that the, this, this task he's been given is to go confront, confront Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, the richest and most powerful man in the world, not to mention of what he's supposed to be telling him. Do you remember what the message is? Hey, uh, God wants you to let his people go. And it's hard to talk about slavery in America without us thinking about our dark past with slavery, right? And here's what I learned from my studies of the Civil War is that when you go to people who are slaveholders and you tell them to release their slaves, they tend to get violent, right? And so I'm sure that Moses has that going through his head. Yeah, okay, that's not gonna last good long, God. <laughs> you want me to go tell Pharaoh to release all of their slaves? And if you remember from last week, there's over a million of them. It's a lot, a lot, a lot of people. 
So I totally understand his reservation. I, he's like, God, God I, 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 don't, I don't think I can do this. I don't talk well. Some people think that Moses might have had a stutter. And he was like, that was just, the, he said, I'm not eloquent of speech. Some people think maybe he had some sort of a speech impediment of some kind. He might have just been like trying to think of ways to get out of this. I don't know. I mean, we get crafty with God sometimes. I don't know. But for whatever reason, he tells God, I'm not eloquent of speech. Maybe he hadn't, you know, taken public speaking in community college. Like he hadn't done that. I don't know. But that's his excuse he gives God. And in a way, I really feel like I can relate to this fear. I'm doing it right now. I'm speaking in front of a group of people. But, it, but my whole life, like as a kid and as a young adult, I... Not only did I not want to be a preacher, I said regularly, I will not be a preacher. And that's not just because I'm stubborn. Uh, if, 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 I, if I look back to my, my life, I remember there being times where I would get physically sick at the thought of having to talk to a group of people. In seventh grade, I ran for class president and I had to give a three minute speech. I almost passed out. Sat down in the front row, the principal literally had to come and be like, this is not how we do it at this school, honey. You're going to get up and you're going to just give me a motivational speech. I'm like, I'm going to throw up in your lap. Um, you, <laughs> you don't understand. Like, so here's what I've learned. Don't tell God what you can't do. Because he, is, he does not need your ability. What he wants is your availability. Are you willing? Because I can equip you. To do this. So let's keep reading. Verse 11. The Lord said to him, Who gave human beings their mouths? It's a fair question. Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I will help you speak and I will teach you what to say. But Moses said, Pardon your servant. Excuse me. Please send someone else. And he begs God, to let someone else do it. But God knows that Moses is the man for the job. He's got him pegged. He knows you're the man. I want you to do this. So he's not gonna let him off that easily. By the way, I think that Moses could have said no and walked away. I think that God gives us all that freedom. But he's like, look, I really have this plan for your life. You really should listen to me. So in verse 14, first it says, the Lord's anger burned against Moses. And he said, well, what about your brother, Aaron the Levite? I know he can speak well. He's already on his way to meet you. And he will be glad to see you. You shall speak to him and put words into his mouth, and I will help both of you speak, and I will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you, and it will be as if he were your mouth and as if you were God to him. You know what? God is not going to force you to do anything. In fact, one of his big deals is choice. He... He wants you to choose. He wants you to choose to follow him. He wants you to choose to love him. He wants you to choose to love other people. He wants you to choose to attend church. He wants you to choose to serve people in your life. He wants you to choose to make good decisions with your time and your money and your relationship. He wants you to choose all of that. If that wasn't so, he would have created us to be robots that would have always done exactly what we were programmed to do. But choice is a major part of God's creation for us. He doesn't force us to do anything, but here's another truth. When we feel like we can't do it alone, God can send help. Guys, we can't do this alone. And I love, I love that this guy Moses who's gonna become this pillar of Jewish society and eventually lead to what is Christianity, I love that this guy needed help. Sends his brother. Uh, Moses had a brother named Aaron. Uh, apparently, this is pretty cool. Apparently, Aaron was already on his way. <laughs> Did you catch that? Like Moses knew that God was... God knew that Moses was going to need help. 
And so I don't know why Aaron knew. I don't know if maybe an angel had seen Aaron. I don't know if Aaron just had a dream. I don't know if Aaron just thought, I think I'll go visit Moses. I don't know if they had kept up in all these years. If you remember last year, last week, uh, Moses was kind of separated from his family at birth. So I don't know. But what I love is that God's like, look, you know your brother Aaron, right? He's already on his way. God will send help. You don't have to do it alone. That's what church family is about. We're here for each other. So let's wrap up the story. Um, Something really cool happens in God's last sentence to Moses in this little section in verse 17. Uh, before Moses like, sets off to meet Aaron, he's not going to dig up the bush. I think he, I think he got the message. God's going to provide a way. But in verse 17, God says this. And I imagine him, before he says the words, I imagine him going, oh, but, 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 Moses, hey, it's, it's Moses. And then he says this. But take this staff in your hand so you can perform signs with it. He goes back to the staff. He's done miracles. He's shown him his power to do disease stuff. Aaron's going to be there. It's going to be great. But don't forget your staff. God has a plan to rescue hundreds of thousands of Hebrew slaves from Egypt. That's his plan. In fact, these slaves that are now enslaved in Egypt in, in, uh, in Exodus chapter 4 are the nation that will eventually lead to Jesus, which is, by the way, why we are here today in this rented gymnasium. It's a major, important, big, worldwide story but at this moment God's using one man and his staff <laughs> it's pretty powerful you know God had a plan he knew that there were going to be obstacles he knows he knows that in life there's going to be doubters he knows that in life there's going to be uh, naysayers but he's saying to Moses I want to use you as a part of this plan and I will give you what you need to follow through and every time Moses has a doubt God's response is basically the same you might remember from last week same response I'm going to take care of it. Trust me. But what's in your hand? Take the staff and go. Okay. We're going to press pause on Moses' story again, okay? Because we've got to focus the camera back on our life. Because I, I think it's easy for us to look at these old stories and feel like they're so ancient and antiquated and out of touch and not even part of, I can't even relate to that. And then realize the God of then is the same God of now and the people then are the same type of people we are and the truths convey. And so we'll press pause on Moses' story and look back at us. And, and here's a question. This is a question I want to kind of lay before you this morning. You're going to have to think about it. Listen for real. Don't just be like, this is a question. I'm not going to listen. No, listen. What is God calling you to do with your life? That's a simple question, but man, that's a deep rabbit hole, isn't it? What is God calling you to do with your life. Last week we said uh, that he's calling all of us out of darkness and into light. You know, Peter wrote that, and, it was, and that's a big thing. So, I mean, is that, is that you right now? Maybe your calling is right now. It's like, dude, I'm in some darkness. I need to come into the light. It's plain and it's simple. I just need to get out of the influences that are not godly, and I just need to seek the light of Jesus, and I need to, to try that. Maybe you've been thinking about turning your life over to God. Maybe, maybe you're ready to become a Christian, and you're like, you know, at our church, we're always talking about people who want to become a Christian. One of the first decisions you make is get baptized. Maybe I need to talk to somebody about that. We can talk about that today. It's fine. But what, what is God calling you to? Maybe, maybe he's calling you to take your personal walk with him a little more seriously, like more than just church attendance. Because just so you know, like coming to church on Sunday morning, that isn't God's plan for your life. This is just like a really quick check-in with the family. The whole rest of your life is God's plan for your life. So maybe he wants you to take some next steps. Like, try your best to open your Bible this week. And if you don't know where to begin, ask somebody. Spend some time praying or talk to somebody in your community that you are in, whatever your circle of influence is, your coworkers or your family or whatever, neighbors. 
talk to them about your faith and maybe talk to them about their faith. Maybe he's calling you to use your time for him more often. Like maybe dedicate some time to serving the less fortunate and not when the church plans it, but like on my own. I need to just set aside time to love somebody else and be servant-hearted. Like what is God calling you to? I can't go through the whole list because God's got that for you. But ask yourself that question, and it may take days to wrestle through. I'll be honest, it's taken years for a lot of people, for me even. Like, what did God really call? But the goal is to begin taking steps in that direction, because you'll never get there if you're going the opposite direction. All these things we just said are legitimate things that God can put on your heart and, and on your mind. And you may find yourself thinking just like Moses. What if they don't believe me? How will they know who sent me? I'm not eloquent of speech what if I don't know what to say what if I can't say it what if I'm in the middle of mess right now and I don't feel like I have any right to speak you can do it and you don't have to do it alone for me um, when God asked the question and I didn't hear him ask this question I don't want you to think like I get like emails from God I wish I did that'd be convenient but when the question was asked, you know, metaphorically, what is that in your hands? I was probably 12 or 13 years old, and I looked down at my hands, and you know what I was holding almost all the time? A guitar. That's what I had in my hands. Uh, I had a guitar. I had started a little band, found out I had a singing voice. I could write songs. And when God called me out of darkness and into light, I was, I was in high school, and I realized, this is what's in my hands. I can use this for your glory. What do you want me to do? And so then I started doing things like, uh, you know, singing Christian songs just with my band to start with. And then I was like, maybe I could lead people in worship. And so I started with this tiny little youth group that we had, and we started doing songs together. And let me tell you, in the early days, it would, did not sound good. But, you know, I'm trying. And then eventually my church, I started leading kind of like Aaron and the guys did up here. I started doing that. And eventually what's crazy is this thing of me holding a guitar and singing songs becomes this way of God taking what's already in my hands and using it for his glory. I got to tell you guys, the reason that we are here today, this church got started my wife and I moved here about five years ago to start Venture Church and it all began the day I picked up a guitar and decided to use it for Jesus it really did I started traveling with a band I started leading worship I ended up in youth ministry a lot of people might not realize this Aaron who's our worship pastor I was his youth pastor and he played lead guitar in my band and so the two of us moved down here with other friends from Greenville and we started doing this and like if it wasn't for the confidence I had built to get on stage behind a microphone, like you see how just starting with what's already in your hand, and I can't tell you how many times along the way I said, no, no, send somebody else, send somebody else, send somebody else. And I wish I wasn't on a stage right now because I don't want to put myself on a pedestal. Every day I wake up going, send somebody else. He's like, no, this is my call for you and you don't have to do it alone. I think of my friend William Sanders. I didn't tell him I was gonna talk about him. I think he's probably out of security for the kids uh, William, he's a spiritual leader at our church. I love this guy. He was one of the very first people that started meeting uh, with our group when there was just a handful of us in a living room. Uh, what's in William's hands? Well, man, William got a lot in his hands. He's juggling a lot. But one thing I know about him is he owns an appliance business. And as I talk to him about what he uses those things in his hands for, what I found is that through that business, first of all, God has shown himself to William. And he's learned a lot through that. And, and the way that William is able to take his employees and mentor them and then just be a good guy. Have you ever had a service person come to your house and you're like, I'm pretty sure they're trying to cheat me. This guy's not gonna cheat you. And he's a person of integrity. And he looked down in his hands and now he's a leader among our church. And so many of you I know have had conversations with William and you're like, I sure am glad that man was here today. I need to talk to somebody. What's in your hands? 
I think of my friend Dylan Oney. When I first became friends with Dylan, he was a student at UNCW. He was big into the party scene over there, but he was just like, I need to come out of darkness and into light. And so he started kind of hanging out with us. He was also one of the first people we had meeting in the living room at at Venture. Um, And so, what's in your hands, Dylan? Well, here's the thing about Dylan. Dylan's a really good surfer, and he's also got a huge heart for people. So Dylan started teaching surf lessons down in Carolina Beach, and before long he created, you know, his own little community of people who were looking up to him, and he realized, I could use this surfing thing as a a ministry. He connected with a group called Surf the Nations, and he moved to Hawaii for a long time to do missionary work there, and that has actually taken him all over the world just by using his surfboard to meet with people who are not Christians, who are on the water, and he can talk to them about his faith. Uh, Pray for Dylan. He's he's looking at doing another trip here soon, and and, uh, not only that, being a surfer is really cool. <laughs> and people look up to Dylan and they're like, dude, I, I don't care what he says. I just want to listen. What's in your hands? You can use it for the glory of God. I think of my buddy Bob. And Bob, <laughs> been through a lot. Bob's in his 60s now. But before Bob came out of darkness and into light, he was in a lot of mess. Using and dealing drugs and a lot of trouble. Had messed up his relationships. He came out of darkness and into light, and he started fellowshipping with us here. And man, just to see the, trans- the transformation in your life, Bob, has been incredible. But what I love is this. What's in your hand, Bob? Um, my brokenness, my mistakes, awesome. I can't tell you how many guys I've sent to talk to Bob. Hey, look, you struggling? I can't help you. I haven't been there, but he has. And he sat across the coffee table from a lot of people and say, look, man, this is what you need to do. And he lays it out. It's in your hand. There's nothing that God cannot use for his glory. Lastly, I think about Jesus' disciples. He collected 12 guys to follow him around. What's in your hands, Peter, James, John? Fishing nets? Great. I'm going to make you fishers of men. Uh, we're not educated. We, people don't respect us. Just follow me. I'll show you how to love people. I'll show you what the power of God in your life can do. You just trust me. I'll take care of the rest. And you don't have to do that alone. Do you realize that the worldwide uh, group of millions and millions of Christians and billions throughout history all began because 12 guys were willing to listen to Jesus and say, okay, where are you going? I'll follow you. And here's what I love. The last encouragement that Jesus gives to the disciples before he goes to heaven and, and, and he goes to prepare heaven for us and stuff like that, he goes to them and he says, listen, you go out, you make disciples and you train them to do everything I've taught you. And this is what he says to them. I will be with you to the very end of the age. You don't have to do this alone. Guys, I gotta ask you this real serious question. What is in your hands? What is it that you do? What's your calling card? What's the thing that if it was propped up on the tree, people go, oh yeah, he's here, she's here. God can use that, no matter how uh, pure or broken it is. God can use that for his glory and to give purpose to your life. And then, step by step, Day by day, as we do it as a family, God makes us God chasers. And we can make serving him and bringing glory to him with our lives our priority. He can do incredible things, unthinkable things, unimaginable things if we would just take what's in our hands and put it down and let him work. Let me pray for you guys this morning. God, you're good. Oh, you're good. Thank you for that word you gave me this morning. I just need to hear your word every day and Um, Lord, I just pray for our church family as we uh, wrestle through all the phases of life. Um, I pray for the moms and dads in the room right now as they wrestle through, you know, how do I I be a parent? 
who raises my kid in a crazy world. I pray for the parents whose kids are grown. I pray for the single people in the room today as they look around and may feel like uh, they're the only ones. Lord, let them know that uh, you've got such a plan for them um, every phase of their life and that you love them. Help them find community and fellowship here. Lord, I pray for, uh, I pray for people in this room who are just struggling with addiction, pain, and hurt. Lord, they'll know that they can lay that in front of you as well and that you will redeem it, you'll give it purpose, and you'll give, you'll give them a fresh start. Lord, I pray right now for the person in the room who might be at that place where they just want to come out of darkness and into the light. They want to accept you, and they want to live for you, Lord. I pray that they'll be bold enough to share, and that they'll make that step today. God, you're good. Thank you for Moses. Thank you for his long story, so that we can learn a lot of things from him, and I just ask that as we go through it over the next few weeks, you can just show us a picture of what your will is for each one of us. We love you, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.